announcements. We had a, a baby born uh, last week. We didn't have the picture, so if you can go ahead and put up uh, the Woolard baby. Um, Jacob Kirk Woolard was born on the 1st um, to Paul and Abra, so we're happy to have him with us. Um, also, next weekend, we've been announcing this for a while. After the service, we're going to have a barbecue lunch here. Um, the Seawerts, who are doing this as a fundraiser for their adoption, are going to be um, cooking uh, meat and stuff, so you're welcome to stick around. And if you know you're going to be here and you want to sign up on the back table so we can get an idea of how many people might be coming, that would be great. Um, but any donations you would have would, for that would just go towards their adoption. So um, got some different announcements that uh, the lovely and talented Sam Donahue is going to come up and share. Okay, good morning. Hey, um, next week after you eat lunch downstairs for the barbecue, we are having a bunk bed day over at Sojourn Church for all of our Care Portal churches are getting together and doing that. So there's 14 local churches who are um, coming together to build those. And it's really awesome. All the funding has come through, and now we just kind of need bodies to help build them. The goal is to have 20 bunk beds um, built, and then we will just have them in a storage unit that Sojourn has. Um, so then when a request comes in, we already have them on site um, because we know that beds are like our biggest care portal request, and most of the um, requests have siblings, so bunk beds make sense. So if you would like to um, help with that or if you need any other instructions or anything, just let me know and I can tell you. Um, but there's like, I think we have like 20 people so far from the other churches. So if we could have some more, that'd be awesome. We're going to have like different teams making the beds. So then this is a skilled thing or also if you were like me and not skilled, um, they're going to need like gophers to go get things and they're also going to need people to clean up stuff. So that'll be my job and handing out hot chocolate. So if you want to join us, you can come. And then also Edison has their um, fall parties on October 31st for Halloween, and we always help out with candy and juice boxes. So if you would like to help with this, you can either donate, um, you can drop them by the guest house, or you can leave them on the table by the 21st Street door, and I can get them where they go. Or you can also drop them by Edison, whatever is easiest for you. So yeah, thanks. And here's Brittany. Hey, guys. Um, I have like a million other announcements to make, so don't mind all these papers. Um, so... We are going to be um, partnering with the Missouri Conservation Department on October 25th. They are having a Park After Dark event, which I think is going to be really fun. Um, we've never really done anything like this, but they asked us if we wanted to um, come and do like a, tr a trunk or treat in the parking lot at um, the Young Doll Conservation Area off of 36th Street. So if you um, have small children or don't have small children, I mean, anyone can come and join us. Um, and you can bring some candy and open up the back of your trunk. You can dress up. You can decorate your trunk, all those fun things. Um, and that will be at 6 o'clock on the 25th. It's a Friday night. And then after that, um, about 6.30-ish, they're going to be doing moonlight um, hikes in the park, which I think is supposed to be, like, spooky but not scary if you have small kids, but just fun. So if you want to join us for that, I'll be there. Um, so I, th I, think, I think it'll be a lot of fun. There are papers on the back table that look like that. So um, we're having a talent show, elementary talent show. There's, I think, 10,000 things happening next Sunday, the 20th. So this is one of them. Um, this is from 4 to 5. So if you have an elementary kid that just has a really fun talent or is just really funny, um, wants to tell some jokes, read a poem, play an instrument, dance, whatever. Um, I know one of our little girls last year, Blythe, um, she came up front and painted for us, which I thought was really sweet. 
Um, so if you have a kid that just has a talent and wants to be seen, please sign up on the back table. There's a sign-up sheet back there from 4 to 5, and um, I will be in contact with you about that. Um, next, not this coming up week, but the following week, we are having um, the 24th, we are having an elementary and middle school parent meeting about camp. So I know it's kind of hard to put your mindset in, like, June, but um, we need to start talking about camp um, for elementary and middle school kids. We're taking both of them together um, to a camp that's about four hours away. It's called Camp Barnabas. And um, we just want to set them up well, set you up well with information, fundraising opportunities. If you have more than one elementary or middle school kid in your family, we know that that could be a little pricey for you guys. So we're going to do some fundraisers. And we're just going to talk all about that. Um, if you have a kid that's going into third grade next year, so next school year, think, 2020, um, kid that's going into third grade through going into ninth grade. Those are the kids that are going to be able to go to camp with us. So if you have a kid that's a little bit younger than that, um, then you don't have to worry about coming to the meeting. Um, and then we, our dates are going to be in July. So um, just look at your bulletin. It should tell you a little bit more information about that. And then my last announcement is going to be about Operation Christmas Child. So if you've been around our church for a few years, you know um, that we do this every year. Um, it's something I think that's pretty near and dear to our hearts. And we talk a lot about caring for the vulnerable and the needy. And I just think that this is just another way that we can do that without a lot of effort from us. Um, right? It's really easy to pack a box with your family or your small group and put maybe a personal picture or a letter in it and send it on its way and not maybe really think much about it. But the implications to what you're doing could be really eternal um, and just huge. So we're going to watch just this testimonial um, from this guy who was a child who received a shoebox and just how this spoke to him and um, just kind of planted a really cool seed in his life. So
so I just, I love his story. I love that a simple shoebox was what introduced him to Jesus. Now, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> hey, thanks, Billy. <laughs> um, like I was saying, I just love that a simple shoebox was what introduced him to Jesus. And now, obviously, he was ultimately adopted, and his foster parents then continued that conversation. Um, but I just, I love how he was able to ex- describe his experience receiving that shoebox. Usually, we watch a video of these kids getting the shoeboxes, and they're so excited. But rarely do we see them grow up um, and become Christians and then have a story to tell about their experience with that. So, again, a big deal. Um, for just such a small amount of time and money that we can invest in this. Um, So if you are interested in being a part of this with us, we have these on the back table. You can grab one or ten if you want to fill a ton of shoeboxes. You'll choose whether you want to fill for a boy or a girl, and then on the inside it'll tell you what not to include, like toothpaste and gum and stuff like that because it can ruin the contents of the shoebox. And then it'll tell you, um, like, ideas of what to pack. Um, So please grab one of these. We are going to be collecting on November 17th. So you have about a month. We will remind you. Um, November 17th, we'll be um, filling shoeboxes downstairs with elementary kids. Um, Last year, I think we filled like 50 to 60 with them. And then you all kind of matched that. So I think we took anywhere from like 120-ish to um, donate, which was really cool. Um, So if we can beat that, if we can fill 150 shoeboxes, I think that's a great goal. Um, I think that could be like one or two per half of our families in our church that come um, every, every week or so. So please join us in that November 17th. Um, and again, these are on the back table behind the sound booth. Uh, thanks, guys. Hi, my name is Nikki. I'm just kidding. Hey, um, next weekend on Saturday, I am going to be joining some folks from Wellspring and many other churches that are involved with uh, World Vision doing a half marathon or a marathon. I'm doing the half um, to raise money for World Vision and their clean water initiatives in the world. So I would just love if everybody who's doing that, if you all could just stand kind of where you are, go ahead. And so we can be aware of who those folks are. I see, yes, I know um, the Kearns, I think, are maybe not for World Vision, but I know that they're running. You guys can stand up too, Daniel and Aaron. There you go. Okay, awesome. Okay, so we have some folks that are, are doing this for the first time. Some people have done this a few times, but um, um, if you could just keep us in prayer this week. Um, we would appreciate it. We want to get through this alive and well, right? Some folks are doing this for the first time, so that's exciting. So thank you guys for participating in that. <clears throat> this morning, I wanted to give an opportunity um, to Stacy Kearns to, to come back up and just kind of um, update us a little bit on what's been going on. <clears throat> we heard from her back in May, was it? June, okay, about this ministry that her and some other folks um, from Wellspring, we're, we're getting going, called Sisters of Solace. Um, and so they've had several months here now of some progress. So I wanted her to kind of give us an update and an opportunity for us to bless her as well. So come on up, Stacy, and we'll give you the floor. Thank you. So last spring, I had the opportunity to just tell you our story and tell you about our vision. So 
I am very thankful for the opportunity again today to tell you how far we've come since that time and then invite you into helping us as we continue to move forward. So if you were here, you remember that I told you the story about how a failed attempt at trying to find a safe place for a homeless woman to stay was a very heartbreaking encounter, but it was also the catalyst for what is now our ministry to be advocates of hope and healing for women in crisis. And at the time, we had just started leasing the old St. Pat's Convent building on the corner of 12th and Duncan, where there are eight bedrooms that will be the sacred space for us to be those advocates for those ladies. And I also shared a couple of our short-term goals. One of them was to purchase the building, and the other one was to expand our network of community partners. And what I mean by community partners are those churches and agencies and programs that can serve the needs of the ladies. And we decided that that was going to be our measure of success, that we weren't going to count the successes of the ladies who came through our door, but we were going to count our ability to grow that network of other advocates that could help us. And we decided on that for a couple of reasons. The first one was that we don't need to recreate the wheel. There are lots of other organizations in our community doing really great things to help the poor and the homeless, and we didn't need to try to do those things. And the other reason we wanted to count that network of community partners is because our ministry isn't just for the ladies, but it's for all of us. And when we get a chance to come alongside them and hold their hand and look them in the eye and know their name and their story, that we're the ones that become more compassionate, more generous, less judgmental, and less condemning. So that's why we never want to count those things as the wins. Since that time, a lot has happened. First of all, right after I spoke to you, we were able to purchase the building. So we now own it completely debt-free. So we were pretty excited about that. And we've also been able to continue to expand that network of community partners. And we've been able to do that in a variety of ways. Um, one of the things that we thought we were going to do was go out and look for people to sponsor the bedrooms, to paint them, decorate them, to furnish them, and we didn't really have to do anything because all of those sponsors came and found us. And so all eight bedrooms have been sponsored. They're almost all completely painted, decorated, furnished, and I'm going to show you some pictures of those here in a little bit. So we've been really very grateful for the churches and the service organizations and the individuals who've stepped forward to do all that. They've done a great job. I mean, really, if it was me, I would have put a bed and a nightstand and a lamp in there and called it good. What these folks done is just, it's breathtaking. It's amazing. Um, another thing that we've been doing as we've been reaching out to our community partners, we've also been invited to be a part of the Urban Mission Project. And maybe you've read that about that in the paper, but I'll tell you about that a little bit. That is an initiative started and funded by Mosaic, and they have selected three funded partners, Community Action Partnership, The Crossing, and Pivotal Point Transitional Housing. And those three funded partners are charged with the responsibility of collaborating together to address some of the population health challenges facing our community. And those population health challenges are substance abuse, homelessness, and mental health issues. And all of this is being administered by the City of St. Joseph Health Department. But everyone knows that this is a much bigger job than just those three organizations can tackle. So some collaborative partners have been invited to the table to be a voice and work alongside these agencies as well. 
and our organization is one of them. So all of those partners that we were talking to individually, we now get to meet around the table with all of them, and we all get to pull together in the same direction. So that's been an exciting and unexpected development. So, and just this week, I'm able to make a big announcement, which is our own partnership with Mosaic. So Mosaic has agreed to help us out by completely funding our first full-time staff person. So we'll have... So we will have a full-time care coordinator on staff Monday through Friday who is going to help our ladies transition to their plan for greater health and stability. So that person will act as a Mosaic employee with full-time salary plus benefits, but they'll work in our building, serving our ministry, working within our processes, and honoring our culture. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. And as great as all of this has been, and really fun to watch. The most fun of all of it has really been seeing young people and our Wellspring friends show up in our, show up in our building a lot. We've seen high school and college students. We've seen small groups. What else? Summer interns have all showed up to help. So we really appreciate that. And it's just been really fun to see our own community be a part of that. So here's the hard part. We knew this would happen eventually, but I didn't know that we would start getting the phone calls so soon. I even had a young friend in February call me from Buchanan County Jail, and I was talking to her about her future and what she was going to do, and she happened to mention in that conversation, oh, hey, I told all the girls here about, their pl about your place. We can't wait for you to open. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> but then I started getting phone calls almost every day. And then this one lady called, and I told her the same thing I've been telling everybody. We're doing the best we can. We're trying to get open because we want to be able to say, yes, we have a place for you. And when I told this lady that we weren't ready, she responded with, well, how can I help? What can I do? I was like, well, we're really trying to bring in, you know, some professional contractors right now and get some things done, and why don't we stay in contact, and I'll let you know when we're getting closer. And she's like, no, really, like, I can paint, I can clean, I can come do anything. And she called me day after day and told me the same thing. And one day I was telling Devin about this, and I said, you know, I think, I think maybe she has, like, some mental challenges or something, and he responded, yeah, or maybe that's just what desperate people do. And I have learned this summer, if I didn't already know, there are lots of desperate, vulnerable, unprotected women in our city. So I want to invite you into <laughs> helping us move forward. We are still on track to open um, right after Thanksgiving. That's still our timeline. Um, we have raised all of the funds we need for all of our known capital expenditures and startup costs, and we have a cash reserve to be able to begin operating. What we discovered as we got into the building and starting looking at some things, our plumbing, it's 
that project is a magnitude that simply demands that we hire commercial plumbers. And while our plumbers have been very, very kind to us with their estimate, the cost of that labor is, it's pretty high. So today, we could use a little bit of help paying for four shower stalls, some sinks and some fixtures, so that we can round all that out and we can have everything ready to open. So all of that is going to cost us $3,900, and we would love it if you would partner with us and help us reach that goal today. That's my story. I have pictures, <laughs> and here they are. Thank you, Stacy, for sharing that. Um, it's just easier if I set stuff down. I don't have any announcements for you. <laughs> Brittany took care of all of those. Um, now, I was talking to some friends this week, and I said, you know, we won't have worship at church on Sunday because most of the band is gone. And then later I was thinking, and I was like, how sad that I've reduced worship to the instruments on the stage and me singing a song on a screen. Um, 
And I was thinking how I want to be ready to, you know, glorify God with my silence if I need to be. And so today I want to encourage myself and all of us that we'll still have a time of worship, um, that we can still um, focus on what worship is by focusing on who God really is. And worship just means that we come to him with extreme love, um, extravagant love and extreme submission. That's the definition of worship. It's we're putting our allegiance on him. We're shifting our priorities to think about um, who God is. And the beautiful promise in all of this is that when we choose to offer our love and our submission to this God who is worthy, that he will show up. And in that process, our hearts will be changed. Um, and they'll be, become more like his. And so t um, today and every Sunday, it's not about the band being awesome, even though we're so fortunate to have a great band. Um, but rather, it's about this extravagant love and this extreme submission to a God who is worthy um, and to a God who will make us more like him. So today, we're going to make space for some worship. And um, Bob asked me to kind of come up with just a little bit here. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have some scriptures up on the screen first. Um, and I'm going to actually read those scriptures out loud to us, even though they're going to be up there. Um, I think there's something about speaking scripture into the silence that's really important. Um, in the book of Revelations, John says, um, blessed is he who reads aloud this prophecy and elsewhere in scripture that's mentioned. So I just want to read the scripture aloud um, as we go through it. And then the, the scripture is going to prompt us to think about the worthiness of God in regards to our praise. And then after that, I'm going to play a video. Um, and it's actually a video that Griffin Hines shot and put together, and it's incredible. Um, he shot it in Iceland when he was there, and it really captures some of the splendor of this God that we get to worship. And uh, one of the scriptures that I'm going to read is from Job, and it's Job talking about all of this creation and saying that all of this is but the fringes that we get to see of God's work. The fringes. I love that. Um, and so as the video plays and there's music with it, I want you to worship. I want us to offer that love and submission to a God who can create all of this, to a God who can shout to us through his creation. Romans 1.20, um, I love this verse. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature were made clear to us being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And I love that idea that his, his divine nature um, and his eternal power have been made clear to us through what he has made and that these are but the fringes really um, should bring us to worship. So if you could put the first scripture up here. It's from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And the next scripture is from the book of Job. And this is Job talking, and he says, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. 
He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. And by his breath, the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power?
going to watch it again. Um, there's a line in the old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, that I always think of when I see um, things like Griffin Shot or I'm hiking in Colorado in the mountains or, um, you know, at the ocean. And it says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And, you know, I understand why Paul said in Romans that God's invisible qualities are made evident um, through these things. And then you think of that, that God, if I were to wrap that up and say, here, God, this is what I want to give you. He says, actually, that's not what I want. I want you. Um, it's just incredible to think about, especially after watching something like that. And so um, to close this time, we're going to play one more video. And this is a lyric video of the song, Is He Worthy? Um, and one of the core values of our church here is corporate prayer. And I really feel like this song is corporate prayer. Um, and there's just two lines that I want to point out before we watch it for you to kind of be thinking about um, as, we, as we watch it with our worship. The first line is actually a question. And it says, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And it's following a line about God's glory being our light. And is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And the song says, it is. Remembrance is such a key part of scripture. Um, and it's a key part of our walk with Christ. And I think it's a key part of our worship and why we worship. Um, it's remembering who God is because we're a forgetful people. I always think of the Israelites who God saved from slavery in miraculous ways um, and told them that he was bringing them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And while they're in, the, in between of that, they're between slavery and the promised land, um, do you know what they do? They say, hey, we want to go back because they got hungry. And they said, we want to go back to slavery. Um, and they were willing to give up the pursuit of the promised land for the physical satisfaction that they knew they had when they were slaves, um, that they had meat. And that, I didn't make that up. It's in Exodus 16. You can go read it. It sounds crazy. Um, but that's so, that's so like us when we are caught between um, the promise and things that we know that are comfortable, we can want to go back. Um, and so I think it's important that we remind ourselves that God's glory is our light, that there is a promise ahead for us, that he is faithful to fulfill that promise, um, so that we aren't willing to go back just for the physical satisfaction of being slaves. Um, and that's what worship is, is just that remembrance. So when we get to that line, I want you to think about that, remembering who God is and why he's worthy of our love and submission. Um, and if we can remember together corporately, I think it's even more powerful. Um, and the last line in the song that I want to talk about before we watch it is the line. It says, it's another question, and it says, is there anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? And this may seem like an incredibly odd question if you've never spent any time in the book of Revelation. Um, and a lot of us are intimidated by the book of Revelation. Uh, I am. And so sometimes we don't spend any time there. But I want to read just a little bit from chapter 5 so it kind of puts this line into place because it's a key part in the song. Um, I didn't grab the page number or anything, but it's the last book in, in your pew Bible. If you flip to the back, you'll find it. But Or you can just listen. But in chapter 5, so the book of Revelation is John, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John. Um, he has a vision or a revelation from the Lord. And so by chapter 5, he's in the throne room, and um, he, there is a sealed scroll. So this is where I'm going to read from in chapter 5, verse 2. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, these are names for Jesus, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. I'm going to skip down to verse 7. It said, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I love that image. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. So in the song when it says, is there anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Our answer gets to be yes, Jesus, our Savior. Who's, he's able to break the seal and open the scroll because he's the one that came to redeem the world because he's the only one who didn't contribute to its brokenness. So is he worthy? Let's watch the video and worship through it.
Hey, elementary kids, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. Thanks for hanging in there with us this morning. If any of you adults need to stand up and just shake it out a little bit, feel free. You're welcome. I know you've been sitting for a few minutes here. Um, Don't be bashful. Isn't it amazing what God's up to? I mean, he knows the name of every kid that's going to get every shoebox sent to all parts of the world. He knows the name of every woman who's going to come into this women's shelter in the next who knows how many years. He created every one of those rocks and glaciers that create these waterfalls and every seal and bird and every one of us. It's pretty overwhelming to think about um, the almighty power and omnipresence and omniscience of God. Um, So we're going to dive into that a little bit today, that idea of just who he is and how he operates and how it's often very different than us. But first I want to start with a little bit of a tangent here. Um, And these are things that I wrote thinking that my wife was going to be in the audience. So the fact that she's not because she's serving in children's ministry doesn't mean that I wouldn't say it to her face. So here's where I want to start today. So it might not surprise you that uh, if you know my wife or I at all, Um, that a lot of our arguments when we first got married were centered around this whole issue of being on time, okay? I grew up in a home with a mom who was always early, and so I plan for some margin. Every time I go somewhere, it's like, what if there's an accident or a traffic jam, or what if I can't find a parking spot? So I'd better be a little early to make sure that if anything goes wrong, I'm still on time, okay? Okay? So that's kind of the perspective that I kind of live life with. And let's just say that my wife doesn't have that same sense of urgency. She tends to think that everything's going to go exactly right and so that she can be there right when she needs to be. So if you ever want to see Pastor Bob at his worst, um, come to our house the morning that we are going to leave for vacation. Because, you know, Bob says, hey, family, 8 o'clock. We're leaving, right? So 8 o'clock, if you came to our house, you would find me in the driver's seat, all the kids buckled up, ready to go, waiting on Kristen, who is in that house doing something that is taking far too long. And, you know, I get a little guilty because, you know, Jesus talks about in Scripture that if you, if you even think in your mind, you know, evil things towards someone, it's like killing them for real. And believe me, folks, like, in my mind, I've honked the horn so many times, but in reality, I've never touched it because I know that my wife would kill me if I did. So to her credit, she has gotten so much better since we first got married. She's much more prompt and on time to most things that involve me. Now, if it's just her, she's usually late, but anyways. um, So just out of curiosity, how many early birds are in the audience today? You just tend to get everywhere early, okay? Okay. How many people are, we're going to call these people that are the ones that are just right on time, we're going to call them the punctual purists. How many punctual purists are out there? It's like, you know, just right at 10. Okay, fewer of those, okay? And we're not going to use the term late here. We're going to use the term perpetually dilatory. Any perpetually dilatory folks out there? Yes. Brittany. Gosh, that hurts. Um... But the old adage is true, is that timing is everything, okay? If you get the right people and the right circumstances to come together in the right moment, amazing things can happen. 
And time is an interesting concept because as humans, we're acutely aware of the fact that our lives are broken down into these little segments, right? We understand the fact that we have seconds and minutes that create hours, that create days and weeks and years. And that's kind of how we, we live with this understanding. But then we serve a God who operates outside of time. We serve a God, the scripture says, a day to him is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. All of eternity is spread out before God and he can see all of it simultaneously. So with that in mind, it's very hard to know why he intervenes at any given moment in time as we see it, okay? And we throw around this phrase as Christians about God's timing always being perfect. You know, you might hear people say that. And even Paul in, in the book of Romans, he says this. He says that just the right time, Christ died for us. Right? But it, when I see that, it makes me ask the question, well, what made 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem just the right time? I mean, I'm sure that lots of people in the Old Testament wish he would have come a lot earlier to deal with the sin issue that we all are struggling with. That they, he would have done that redeeming work on the cross a lot sooner. So why did God wait so long? God only knows, right? And many of our prayers, when we pray things, they tend to have either spoken or unspoken time constraints, right? Um, or, or timelines. We often need to, God to show up in whatever we're praying about and we prefer to that be right now, right? God, I've got bills due next week that I don't have the money for. And so within this time week, you know, you've got five days to show up and do what I need you to do right now, okay? Or we might be living um, in a situation where, hey, we've got vacation next week and th these projects have to get done. God, please help Susie and HR feel the sense of urgency that I feel to get me the documents that I need to get and so that I can get this project done so I can get out of town, right? Or maybe we've got a, a kid who plays sports and they've got a big sporting event coming up and, and they've been sick or they twisted an ankle in last week's game and it's like, God, like you've got a week or you've got a couple days to heal this thing and I need you to do it now. We have this sense of urgency. Or maybe it's something a little bit more serious. Maybe things are falling apart in our marriage and our, our spouse has kind of given us an ultimatum with a, with a timeline or a deadline on it. Maybe we're living with a dread act, drug addict or an abuser and we pray for God to, to show up and to step in and to stop the pain or the chaos or the destruction. Why does God not seem to care? Why doesn't he protect the innocent? Drastic world events constantly going on in our world, war, genocide, human trafficking, refugees out at sea, you know, sinking in the middle of the Mediterranean, trying to flee to safety, kids screaming in the hallway. <laughs> and I'm sure in, in each one of those just horrific situations that prayers are being uttered, desperate prayers. But there doesn't seem to be an answer, at least not the ones that those people are probably looking for. And these are, are troubling questions sometimes that we really don't like to ponder. When, when God's timing doesn't line up with ours. 
Now today we're going to be kind of fast forwarding quite a bit in the story from where we left off last week. We've been talking about Jacob the last couple of weeks, the grandson of Abraham. And Jacob had 12 sons. One of those was his favorite, which is kind of interesting because Jacob wasn't the favorite. Now he picks a favorite. Uh, Joseph, a lot of you guys know kind of about Joseph's story, he wore the fancy coat that his dad gave him and and all of his brothers were jealous and and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And Joseph, through God's blessing, rises to a pretty high level in that country. And um, later on, as they grow and multiply in Egypt, um, the Egyptians get threatened by the Israelites and so they subdue them and make them slaves. And then along comes Moses, who God calls to rise up and to bring those people out of captivity, kind of like we were sharing about earlier. And so they, they, you know, part the Red Sea and wander through the desert and get right up to the edge of this promised land that God has given them. And then Moses kind of hands the baton off to Joshua, who takes them in to what is now kind of modern-day Israel. But after Joshua, there was this series of just poor leader after poor leader, and the Israelites begin um, to really wander and stray from God. And they begin embracing the, the gods and the pagan worship of their neighbors. And um, things start to really go awry. God finally sends an enemy to conquer them, the Midianites. And so it's a very dark and bleak period in their history that we're going to be taking a look at. They were effectively refugees in their own country. Okay? And that brings us to the chapter we'll start on this morning, which is Judges chapter 6. If you want to Open your Bibles to page 221, Judges 6. And before we dive into this story, I think we first need to ask, like the Israelites were probably asking at this time, is that why, why wasn't God showing up? Why did he allow things to get so bad, the, the hearts of the Israelites so far from him for so long without intervening? And when he finally does intervene through the life of Gideon, why then? Why that guy? Why ignore so many prayers over so many years and then answer in such a strange way as he does? And I don't have the answers to those questions, but I think it comes back to this, is that God's ways are not our ways. And time doesn't mean the same thing to him as it does to us. And at some level, we either have to trust God's intentions for us or we don't. Right? Really, that's, that's what it boils down to. Do we trust him or not? Let's take a look at verse 1 in verse, uh, chapter 6 of Judges. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. 
I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So Gideon, this story kind of begins with laying out the facts of just kind of how bad things were. And as we read that, it's just like, gosh, I mean, just the desperation. I mean, people were just coming in, it says, and just ravaging their land. And it got so bad that the hearts of the Israelites finally began crying out to the Lord. And, and God first in this passage recounts all the things that he's done for them, the ways in which he has been faithful. He says, hey, kids. <laughs> I did a number of things for you, miraculous things, to bring you to this land and to give it to you. I set you up to succeed. And I warned you and I said, you've got to stay true to me. But you wanted it your way. And you worship these other gods. And he summed it up so well in verse 10. He says, but you have not listened to me. And as loving parents, we have to have those conversations with our kids sometimes, those of us that have older kids, right, where we say, listen, I tried to warn you but you wouldn't listen to me. Anybody get that from their parents before, right? Or give that to their kids? Absolutely. So let's look at verse 11. It says this. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak, an Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So after all of these years of suffering, God decides to show up that day to this particular guy. And what do we know about Gideon at this time? Well, the first thing that we learn about him is that he is secretly threshing wheat in a wine press. Okay, and most of us would just, if we were going through our daily reading, we would just read over that and we wouldn't even think about what that means. Okay, but this is what it means. All right, he's down in this kind of hole. There's a picture of like what a wine press looks like. Okay, so he's down inside of that hole trying to thresh wheat. So threshing wheat, I'm talking like a farmer and I have no clue what I'm talking about. Okay, so just hang with me, get the general sense. It's a separating process of the good part that's usable, the wheat from the chaff, the bad part. Okay, and in order to really do that well, you need to be in a big space, kind of open air where you can separate those things. Um, you can't do that very well in a hole. Okay, but... but it, Gideon doesn't have any options because if anybody sees him doing that, they're going to come and steal it from him. So he's down in this wine press, you know, really kind of doing something kind of futile. It's really probably not working very well, and he's just kind of down in this hole, all right? Maybe we've been to that place in life where it's like, what I'm doing in life right now is really not working that well, but it's all I got, so I'm going to just try to, make it, try to make it happen, okay? So he's down in this hole trying to make something work, and the Lord says... This, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It says this angel shows up and says that to Gideon. Okay, what do you think is going through Gideon's mind when this stranger says this to him? Keeping in mind all that's going on around them in this moment. Yeah. Yes. Yes, why are you calling me a mighty warrior? I'm like in this hole doing this frivolous, stupid act. Like, what makes you think I'm a warrior? Yeah, what else? What else do you think is going through his mind? 
Yeah. What do you want? Yeah, absolutely. What else? What about the first part of that phrase? The Lord is with you. Yeah, prove it, like, or just look around. Really? Doesn't look like you're with us. <laughs> Looks like these, everybody else is kind of having their way with us, right? Where's God? Okay. And, and in some ways, you know, uh, this, this guy probably feels like this guy's kind of being sarcastic, right? Have you ever been told by someone, like, how beautiful or how smart or, oh, man, you've got so much potential or you're such a leader and you're, like, looking at yourself thinking, What? What is this person talking about, right? I don't see that in myself at all. And it happens quite often that God or other people see something in us that we can't see in ourselves, right? That's why God calls us saints, because it's who we are, whether we believe it or not. That's who we are in Christ. And did you notice in this interaction that God is also hiding his identity from Gideon? He says, the Lord is with you, not I'm with you. And so God, uh, by showing up as a stranger and hiding his identity, it allows Gideon this space to just kind of be honest because he doesn't really know it's God he's talking to. And so he just kind of lashes back out at this guy. And, 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 and God creates, he can voice his complaints without fear. So let's see what he says in verse 13. So God calls him, you know, this mighty warrior, and uh, Gideon says this, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And I kind of wonder where Gideon got this narrative I mean, was it strictly from just life experience and kind of watching what was going on and thinking, man, it sure doesn't seem like God's around right now. Was it something he was also hearing when he got home? You know, his parents, you know, this kind of this victim mentality maybe of, you know, God's kind of abandoned us and left us out here to die. Regardless, it makes me wonder how we interpret the signs of our times and what God's doing in the midst of it all. And, and what are the voices that we're allowing to shape our perspective on all of that? What's going on and who is God in the midst of what's going on in our world? Because you and I both know that <clears throat> you could take the same news story and depending on which channel you turn your TV to, you can hear a narrative, right? And a lot of times they're like the exact opposite perspective on the same event, and whichever one you allow to influence you, you walk away kind of convinced that that's the truth. And you've got one crowd going this way thinking that's the truth and one crowd going this way thinking that's the truth, right? And so we have to be very careful as followers of Christ to really think about who are the voices that we're allowing to shape our narrative about who God is and what's going on around us, who we are, all of those things. So who or what are you filtering life through? So Gideon hits this stranger with kind of both barrels blasting, right? And let's see what God responds like in verse 14. It says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, 
Didn't he just sound like a sarcastic little snot every time he talks? Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving nothing alive. So God doesn't answer Gideon's accusations. Instead, he gives them a command. Hey, this is what you're going to go do. And then he asks them a question, asks him a question back. Has God ever asked you to do something ridiculous? Like start a church from scratch, maybe? Um, and, and you're thinking to yourself, what makes you think that I could do that? Is there nobody else that you could ask to do that? I'd really rather not, right, have that responsibility. And God often taps us on the shoulders, not when we've just one employee of the month and like our spirits are riding high, but a lot of times he, he calls us to do kingdom things when we're kind of like Gideon, kind of down in the pit, not having a lot of success, not feeling very good about ourselves. And you may have noticed throughout scripture how God seems to interrupt ordinary people doing ordinary things for, to do kingdom business, right? When Moses has the burning bush experience, he's just tending sheep, just what he does every day. When Jesus comes along and calls disciples, right, several of them are just out fishing with their family, doing what they do every day. And Jesus says, hey, follow me, right? The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, she's just going out to get water, what she does every single day when she encounters Jesus. And Gideon is just doing what he does. He's just threshing wheat, this time in a wine press, but it's just ordinary. And I guarantee you that none of those folks that I mentioned were expecting to meet God that day and to hear his voice in that ordinary place. They weren't at church. They weren't in a Bible study. They weren't on a retreat. <laughs> they were just doing life just going about their ordinary day. So it makes me think, when and where are we expecting to hear from God in our life? We need to have spiritual eyes to see. See, some of my best sermon ideas don't come when I'm sitting at my desk. <laughs> they come when I'm mindlessly driving down the road. And then all of a sudden it's like, and I've got to pull over to start writing stuff down before I forget it. Or especially when I'm out mowing the lawn, right? I think there must be an, an angel in charge of lawn mowing um, because it's like a direct line, you know what I mean? Because I'm just mindlessly buzzing around. I'm not thinking about anything. And it's just like God just whoosh, 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 filling my mind with things. I have to get quiet enough to hear him. And it's also pretty obvious. We can see that Gideon is struggling mightily with self-doubt. Like a lot of other biblical characters receive kind of a calling that seems pretty great. Gideon feels grossly unqualified for the task. He'd never been a soldier, never been a leader. His clan is the least. He's the youngest in his family, right? He's, he's laying out his defense for why I'm not the guy. <laughs> but what's God's trump card whenever we start throwing out excuses? Tell me a couple of God's trump cards. When we start throwing out excuses for why we're not the person, you must have us wrong. What are a couple things that he can just whip out and be like, gotcha. Do what? He says he'll be with us. Okay. 
constantly says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Okay? What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look at who else I've used. I've used less talented people than you, dumber people than you, uglier people than you to do great things, right? I can do it. You know, what did he tell Mary? You know, nothing's impossible with me, right? Those are his trump cards that he pulls out, okay? But we sure like to put a lot of emphasis on our own perceived abilities, don't we? Some of us have like really high opinions of our perceived abilities, <laughs> and we're like, oh yeah, we got it. No problem, God. You want me to go do that? <laughs> sure, no problem. I'll, I'll, I, can, I can do that. I might maybe need to that much, but you know, you can, be, you can hang around and watch me do some cool stuff if you want. Other people are so sure that they can't handle it that they just run for the hills anytime God says, hey, I'd like you to do this. They're like, I'm gone, right? Well, the funny thing in this whole conversation is that God's answer to Gideon's complaint is to use him to do something about it, right? It's the one answer that he doesn't want to hear. Can you relate? Gideon's like, somebody should do something about these blasted Midianites. God, where are you? And God's like, I'm right here. <laughs> and in fact, I'm going to pick you to be the one that does something about it, Right? And you can imagine Gideon being like, well, crap. <laughs> you see, when God gives us a holy discontent about something, we'd better be prepared to be a part of the solution. If he's filled you with this sense of something's unjust in our world, <laughs> you better believe that you're going to be part of what he's going to do. He's put that discontent in you for a reason to start with. And I love this this quote from the book, God is Stranger, says this, self-doubt is a surprisingly common reaction when people are called by God. Sarah laughs when God tells her she is going to be the mother of a nation. Moses argues with God, somewhat ironically, in a bid to prove that he is no good at arguing and therefore not the right person to confront Pharaoh and, and secure the liberation of the Israelites. Isaiah cries out to God because he feels utterly unworthy to have seen God, let alone be sent by him. Jeremiah laments to God that he's too young to be his messenger. All of these leaders who were mightily used... <clears throat> I'm getting all choked up. Actually, I screamed at cross-country meet yesterday. So, whew. all those leaders who were mightily used by God considered themselves utterly inadequate or too insignificant to be, out, uh, to be of any use to anyone. Perhaps that is exactly the reason why they were chosen and why they were so effective in their work for God. God's modus operandi is, according to James, Jeremiah, and Paul, to give grace to the humble, to raise up the outcasts, to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Those people, Gideon, they were a great choice because God gives grace to the humble. See, he's in this pattern of choosing the least likely people when they least expect it. Why not you? Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure, okay, which is Christ in us, in jars of clay. Okay, and he's talking about us. Jars of clay at that time were the most common, ordinary thing that you would have in your home, right? He's saying that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing powers from God and not from us. 
we're just ordinary, but we've got this extraordinary thing inside of us, right? You can have a jar of clay, which is ordinary, but it could be filled with this priceless perfume that all of a sudden makes that jar of clay really valuable, right? But it's what's in it that's the power. And as the story goes on, God makes that truth abundantly clear to Gideon. Before he goes into battle with the Midianites, this is what God does. He whittles his army down from 32,000 to 300. He keeps telling Gideon to send people home. You got too many people. Why? Because God already knows they're going to win. He's already told them, I'm going to deliver them to you. So this is what I want. When, when it happens with 300 people against multiple thousands, I want you to make sure that the glory goes to me and that you don't think you've done something amazing and that you don't start taking credit. Right? Do you ever wonder sometimes when God calls you to something, maybe he has before, maybe he is right now, when he doesn't seem to be showering you with resources? You know, a lot of times with this church over the years, it's been like, man, we've got just enough. <laughs> but if we have a bad month or two, man, it, it could get rough. Or, or we have this ministry where we need volunteers, or we need resources, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's like a battle, a struggle just to get, you know, people to sign up and to help out for this thing that God obviously called us to. And so often we can focus on what we lack when God focuses on who he is. He's the provider. And he will provide when he wants, the amount he wants. And I wonder if sometimes he waits for us to get so desperate, so at the end of our own abilities and resources that we finally turn away from our competency and cry out to the Lord, God, help me. Help me. And here's what the Lord gave for me to share with you guys today. I got to the end of my message like, how am I going to wrap this thing up? And this is what the Lord said. Guys, this life we're living right now is but a breath in eternity. And God is much more concerned with each one of our eternities than he is about the present circumstances that we might be going through right now and those working out the way we'd like them to. So that knowledge certainly affects his timing on things when we might feel like something is urgent. Secondly, and I've said this many times to you guys before, is this, is that God doesn't owe us anything. Doesn't owe us anything. We've already gotten more than we deserved in Christ. He doesn't owe us good health. He doesn't owe us financial success or a comfortable life. He doesn't owe us a pain-free existence for us or our kids. We deserve death because of our sinful self-centeredness, but we're given mercy and grace long before we were seeking the answers to our troubles. God's timing and what mattered most to our eternal destinies, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, were right on time. So knowing that we've already been given more than we deserve should release us from demanding 
that God show up when we want, when we want him to, with what we expect him to do. Our posture as followers of Christ who've been given more than they deserve should be that of a grateful people, right? A grateful people who are kind of really kind of playing with house money. You're, you're aware of that idea, right? Like we've already been guaranteed heaven, eternity with him. It's going to be amazing, unbelievable. So this life we're living now is kind of like, it's kind of like a little bit of a bonus here. We've got house money we're playing with. We know how this story ends. So that posture for us, then we should be staying humble and we should be open and watchful and listening and honest, like Gideon was honest. He, he let God have it at times, right? But also ready for the stranger to show up when we least expect him with our next mission to bring glory to his name, okay? I'm not going to tell you what you should think or what you should do as you go from here, okay? And if we had more time, I would get some feedback from you, but we don't, okay? So I would encourage you guys to go home today, have some lunch as you watch the Chiefs beat the Texans, and just ask each other, hey, what'd you get out of that today? What'd you walk away with? It's probably going to be different for each of us, okay? Thank you guys for just kind of a different Sunday that we had today. Let me pray for us as we head out. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we're challenged, um, as always, by your word and the story of Gideon, this person that was just doing something really ordinary when you came and called for whatever reason. God, you show up in our lives a lot of times in ways that we aren't expecting, at times when we don't expect in the form of, of something that we don't expect or a person that we don't expect with, with words for us that we don't expect. And our posture in those moments is critical, God, that we don't miss you. And Gideon, for all of his flaws, and if you, if you continue to read the story, he, he t puts God to the test. God, if this really is you, you know, make this happen and make this happen and make this happen. But he hangs in there and he, and he goes and he goes with 300 men and he trusts you. So there's this transformation, this faith that builds in Gideon's life. God, help us to be people that, that are aware and God, that just don't expect or need life to turn out a certain way, to feel like we're already blessed and we've already been given more than we deserve. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.